Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute of screen time per episode. And, as you can see, I'm a British person. I apologise in advance. I am, in fact, Ethan McKinley of the Two Minute Terminator podcast from many moons ago. And joining us today is the grandfather of all the Minute podcasts, I like to think, anyway, uh, Jim O'Kane of every minute show you can imagine and now this one hi Jim how are you Ethan so good to be on your show and being a guest for a change rather than running these things is so refreshing I feel, <laughs> I feel very good uh, but uh, thanks so much for being a part of this too it's really it's really great having uh, having your point of view it's uh, it's unique and refreshing as well well thank you well Jim I want to thank you in advance because as we know we lost a co-host in Ellie of the two minute Terminator so I asked uh, listeners the, the the greatest guy of all time and uh, what can I say the uh, the architect to use a matrix term behind all this Jim O'Kane himself to perhaps walk me through this because Jim I, confession time, I had never heard of this film ever, even though it's in the uh, the AFI's top, is it the, even the top 25 greatest films of all time in the film library at the Library of Congress. Uh, and there's actually very little information about it, to be quite honest, on online. I struggled quite a bit to, uh, to find it. And also, my two worst subjects is post-war Britain and America. I'm sorry, listeners, I apologize. If you want to, if you want to talk wars and talk about like future dystopia with where the machines take over, I'm your man. But reality, obviously, I don't live in, and now we're here. So Jim's going to hold my hand and gently walk me through uh, this uh, this uh, <laughs> magnum opus by William Wyler. So over to you, Jim. Talk to me. Uh, well, T- tell well, me about this film. Well, uh, it it is as I've said on previous episodes. This is possibly my it it probably is my favorite film i i I can't think of one that's done better and uh we can go down a long list of why i think it's the best film ever ever created every i I think it speaks to everyone uh it has such a shocking look at post-war the the post-war world Mm. uh that it was unexpected for its time i mean these are things you might have saw it in uh uh, johnny got his gun or uh the big parade would be ones from world war one i would think but it's never been this visceral. It's never been this, uh, you know, right in your face kind yeah. of a, a look at what what was facing, you know, that maybe things after the war weren't much better than during the war. Um, yeah. What was the previous William Wyler film? It escapes me now, but that was a kind of dealing with uh, the the post war condition of uh, you know domestic America as well. Who? What was it? It's a woman's name. The name of the film. Oh bloody uh, no! I can't remember it. Uh, you... <laughs> If you caught me on there, I mean, I, when googling I think of, William uh, Wyler as we speak. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he. Um, I mean, I, I when I think of wartime films of talking Miss about Miniver. during war, there Miss we Miniver, go. yeah, there Miniver, we go. Greer Garson. Um, those are you know, and and that of course dealing with Dunkirk. Yeah. Uh, so it it's more uh, Anglo-centric on on their their part, but I think it spoke to everybody at home. You know, watching the war going on and how can they help? How can they be a part of uh, of the fight? Mm. So uh, this one is dealing with well now that we've now that we've won the war what you know what happens next and where where does everybody fit back in? Yes. Uh, How does one return to I guess normal life? Which it's, is kind of like it's, it's a soft I sequel mean, to First Blood in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, it's you know it, it's interesting seeing how how much you know the PTSD idea of uh, 
of your you know your oeuvre which is uh terminator movies of how, how do you deal with constantly being in a state of i've got to be repaired i've got to you know i'm going to hit the beach or i'm going to be you know up against these uh massive robots firing lasers at me um <laughs> it, it's uh yeah it, it's it's all that it's all that and more so i mean i think this this may be the 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 part that that kicked off so many other things or influenced others maybe that we didn't realize mm. but uh you know this this whole the themes that are coming up here we'd see in science fiction movies of the 60s and 70s yeah well i think uh i think francis for a couple of this is his favorite movie i think i found that out but one of the things wow. i did uh discover when like researching this is uh it was commended for having no kind of fat on it, as it were. So all the main characters are all the main characters, and all the people they intersect with all have a very specific part to play. There's no kind of like, uh, well, unused characters, if you will, that uh, just, you know, sometimes you're like, why did that character need to be in there? But every person plays their part, even the smaller parts. It revolves around these like five or six main characters, but, uh, you know, there's no fat, as it were. Oh, yeah, dear. it it's uh, it, it it's it's very very lean the the acting is also there's nothing glamorous in this uh in this movie there's not everybody is work a day i mean i i think this the, the bit of trivia that comes up with this again and again with different teams they all talk about how uh when doing the wardrobes for this film uh, uh myrna loy and Teresa wright and people were told to go out to the local electro and outfits the, weren't they yeah yeah just just pick something up at the jc pennies and, and and put it on don't expect you know edith head to show up and g give you a gown and, how would that uh, have worked in 1940s filmmaking though because i mean on a film set and i've been on film sets and there's always like multiple versions of a costume in case you rip it you get it dirty like uh i think it's deborah nadorman that did the indiana jones costume i think they had like 12 hats and they've got like like 10 jackets all that to be kind of like uh you know wire brush to kind of have the same age and damage on them and stuff or for different stages in indy's adventure there were different like damage on the coats and stuff so i presume once yeah, they'd picked uh, an outfit some poor stage hand or assistant would have to go to jc penny at the time and yeah buy pick 40... up five of these bobby brooks pantsuits and yeah. here, try try these on and off we go so yeah it, it's uh i mean that, that's probably how it went but i think just the the pedestrian or quotidian ideal of uh, this is this is what the people that are going to the movies are wearing out there in the in the seats. Mm. Uh, I think that that really was a nice, uh, you know, I, I think it was a nice touch, and it didn't make this a Hollywood movie. So mm. um, I'm recognizing it, Frederick March, March, of course, from uh, Doctor Jekyll. Probably, I think for me, I think the best version of that. Uh, what is it? That uh, God, that. Uh, that character if you will yeah the the, the dr jekyll mr hyde characters there i you know one of the weirdest things when you see him without hair he i always uh, I, my my really that's frederick march is when you're seeing him in inherit the wind he plays the uh the evangelical preacher who gets who gets up against uh, spencer tracy in that film and i can watch that film and think this is the same guy that's playing al stevenson how is that even possible yeah he's quite a chameleon yeah it uh, but uh, d dead on. I mean, all, all these characters, everybody in this is immersing themselves and being being the characters. You know, you don't feel like they're acting the roles. You don't. It, it doesn't really feel like a patina. They really seem to be part of it. Uh, Teresa Wright comes off a little bit that way, a little bit uh, theatrical, but mm. uh, that's just the role she's been given. I think she'd just been plucked off Broadway, I believe, by Samuel Goldwyn, who saw her in a play. Oh, God, what is it? The Life with Father. 
Yelp, yeah. I think he found her in 1941 and brought her to Hollywood, so maybe that's why her acting perhaps is a bit, as you said, stagey. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but she comes across. I know. Uh, either they're all you great, though. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't yeah, I mean, notice that, but uh, yeah, just speaking to that point you just made, yeah, possibly. Yeah, and Peggy really the the character that Teresa Wright gets here, Peggy doesn't exactly have the greatest of uh, script uh, lines in here. Her her sides are just pretty pretty bad. Where she's got to <laughs> she's got to talk her mom through in uh, what seems to be a subcontext of you're going to have to get intimate with your husband again after four years. And oh my! <laughs> it, I mean that's that's the, I mean that's the impression I was getting about this, where she's like, I know it's a little difficult, and that's only because Dad's so crazy about you, and she's going on with all this you know she she's here let me be captain obvious and tell you what you're thinking so it's just it's a little bit preachy um, she's, a, she's a conduit to the audience perhaps or yeah yeah very much yeah. a lot of exposition here but it's gosh they're just <laughs> just holding doing everything but holding up uh fight card signs it's uh they're all, they're all drinking they're all boozing yeah. away here <laughs> <laughs> and then he bursts he goes we're going party because i don't go daddy's like you're coming too <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Because uh, um, it deals uh, with sorry, I was going to say because it deals with like PTSD. Uh, I imagine that wasn't as recognised a condition back then, especially. I think George Carlin's got a bit on it about how they changed the kind of the name. It was originally called Shell Shock, and then it was something else, Combat Fatigue, and now right, it's kind yeah, of PTSD. Yeah. And what, what it was, was the... it was looked on, you know, as as almost a failure that. Uh, uh, that you'd be, you know, this is not how you, you know, this is not how you behave. And it's, it's not something that you can, and we'll see that later on in the movie where, um, well, I suppose then you're at like, you have to be a man. Come on for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah, Pull yourself out, together. Snap out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody, you know, you just need a good quick slap across the face. And the, yeah. The old Chuck height. Heston grab them by the shoulders and just slap yeah. the shit out of them until they kind of center themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, you know, which, which airplane did so directly. Which I happen to agree <laughs> with. Bring it back. Husbands and wives start beating each other. <laughs> I I have to I have to point out something in this that that annoys me. Not as a, a I think you're going to say this not, show does not reflect Ethan McKinley's opinions. No, 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 no. no. I'm the, joking, listeners. I'm looking I'm looking at a I'm looking at Frederick March and he's he's wearing his army uniform you know, or or some you know dressed down version of it. But the way he's wearing he's he's wearing his class A uniform and uh, it's a small thing but it bothers me. His belt the. That's a canvas belt. Oh, it's uh, falling down slightly, isn't it? So yeah, no, it's coming no through. And he's not—he's not doing what the what the army would call brass on brass. You'd you inside that that, that the uh, gosh the I'm point I'm, I'm I'm you know of course we're on audio and I'm pointing at my belt. I said the front the buckle part underneath the buckle. There's a way you can you can uh, cinch it up from the inside so that you can get what they call brass on brass, the end of your belt buckle meeting the front of that uh, Oh, really? Buckle. But yeah. that, wouldn't that mean there'd be loads of slack on the belt unless you had it perfectly tailored to fit your waist? Well, what you do is once you, once you, you know, pull, cinched it up, you'd cut the, you know, simple canvas. So you just get a pair of scissors and cut off the, uh, the excess and hope ah, you never get fat again. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, you can just do about a half inch on that and just leave it there. But his, you know, he's obviously not brass on brass. And I don't know if maybe the costume designers are saying, well, he's very much at ease and he's very much out of the service right now. So yeah. maybe that's the way he'd wear it. But it's just one of those things that popped out at me. It's like, oh, that's a that's a problem. But there could be a, a quite an easy reason for that. So I just I'll, get, I'll cut, her, cut him some little. Or maybe this slack. was the best acting take. No, I'll just leave it and it doesn't matter. Just we'll, yeah. don't adjust his belt. Who cares? <laughs> He get, I do know one thing I do notice though that really is not quite this well it's disturbing but it's just amazing 
Frederick March's grasp on Teresa Wright's arm, it looks like he can feel her bones in her arm. The way That's that... how you grab a lady in the 40s, Jim. What's going on? Come on. <laughs> but she just looks like, uh, you know, like, like somebody's just taken a, a wad of Play-Doh and crushed it underneath Frederick March's uh, paw there. It's, uh, well, he's it, making it's... sure they know that they're going out. Okay, yeah. ladies, as I say through my teeth. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> yes, okay, honey. Let's go and get go to the go to the get. To, what is it? Uh, wow! It, and they do uh, what's what's classically known. Uh, I don't know if it's a UK thing, but this is the, the 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 edit that they do here is typically known as a Gilligan cut. Right. And it's where someone says one thing, and the exact opposite happens. Uh, for, you know, in the in the next scene, the exact opposite happens from what, from what they were talking about. That he wants to. He wants to go back to civilization, and he's just seeing like this crowd of people while this, uh, while Gene Krupa is laying out this, uh, you know, jungle drums beat. <laughs> was Gene Krupa? I was going to say, I put it in my notes. Is he? A, was he an influence on uh, Keith Moon? There's a lot of Keith Moon going on in there. Yeah, well, Gene Krupa was he pretty much invented the modern drummer. He he's he's epically, you know, it, it, it he would be. The one that you point to is you say this, you know, it, it, like uh, Kenny G is to alto saxes, Gene Krupa would be to, you know, <laughs> to he's drums. the one that came up with a drum set. And you think of him like a Les Paul guitar. It's a Gene Krupa drummer. Yeah. Um, it's uh Oh, definitely. You know, then he must have been. Yeah. And just uh, the star it, very much reminded me of Keith Mooney. Just I can't like if they kept the camera going a little bit more, he'd kick the drum kit over and start stabbing at the snares with these bloody sticks and things. Yeah. Per, that, that's pretty much this guy. And he was, you know, he was known as a. Yeah, big time, uh, you know, cocaine and massive drug user. Um, so it's like which one? Both of them. Everything. Yeah, everything that he's. Yeah, he, he was the he was the the mold the 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 template that all the molds were made from. He just, did. Did he they have the, cocaine then? I don't mean Keith oh, Miller. Are we talking about Gene Krupa? Gene Krupa. Yeah, yeah. Gene. Krupa oh wow, was, uh, he likes a party. Yeah, he was. He was very much into uh, into mind altering substances. Okay. And, I, would, uh, I did. I, what, what drugs? Sorry, sorry. What drugs were around in the forties then? I imagine it was just like I, I'm thinking of like I only think of laudanum. I just think of like Victorians. Oh yeah, no, no, no. We've we, we got much further on that. There was cocaine. There were you know, cocaine's been around since the days of Sherlock Holmes. So it's you know it's okay. It's, it's a popular you know, anything from the uh, opium tars and uh, you know heroin things things like well, that's that. That's the milk of the poppy thing from Game of Thrones, isn't it? It's like opiates yeah. and things. Okay, I, I knew yeah, that, and, but yeah, so yeah I thought and, cocaine you know, is quite and, and of a modern mar- thing. Marijuana was still a big thing then, and yeah, it was. Uh, but it, yeah, it's uh, definitely yeah. He, he he definitely was the catalyst for. I want to be like Gene Krupa. So uh, <laughs> I was just thinking uh, as well. You mentioned uh, Teresa Wright. She was in Summer in Time. I have still not seen that movie. Oh really? Wow! It's um, one of those films you meant to have seen. It's one of yeah. the classics, but I've never seen it. Is it any good? Uh, uh, I I enjoyed it. It's it's uh, it's an interesting slow speed. Now you're talking of. Um, you're talking of the the Jane Seymour Christopher Reeve one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah again, yeah. yeah. Anything post Superman with Chris Reeve, I've yeah. not seen. There's also a thing with Michael Caine. I remember seeing as a kid when they're in a house together. Is it Death Trap? Yes, Death Trap. Yeah, yeah. Not, and I always get that fond conf- of Death Trap, but it was okay. yeah. But uh, somewhere in time, interesting. Uh, I I enjoy the books better if you read any of the Jack Finney series. He has a most amazing look at uh, the way he sees time travel. Very intriguing. Jack uh, Finney, who wrote Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's right. And Jack ah, Finney, yeah. If you okay. look at uh, time, time and again, and uh, time after time, I believe 
are the two big time travel books for him. He also wrote a, a very interesting uh, short story called The Third Level, which is about finding a secret level in Grand Central Station in New York. Right. Uh, that that is a that is a time portal, and uh, interesting interesting short story if you can if you can track it down. But yeah, I can strongly recommend Jack Finney's uh, novels. How many time books are there, and is it the same characters from the movie? Uh, no, they're com- it's completely different. They've just mostly lifted the the title, but the idea of the mechanics um, of time are the same in each book. It just happens to different people. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's it. Oh, and, nice. uh, and how you get thrown out of time and how you get back into time. It's it, it's all there. Don't want to spoil it, but yeah, def- definitely worth seeing. Uh, a bright spot for 1980 Universal Pictures because the, the really the, the stuff that was coming out in Universal 1980 wasn't that great, but time, uh, Somewhere in Time uh, did a great job. Okay. Uh, I'll check it out. Another, uh, Teresa Wright, uh, probably the, the big one that I remember her from is uh, Shadow of a Doubt with uh, Joseph Cotton, uh, mm. uh, early Hitchcock film. Great. Uh, uh, she's named after her, uh, her name is Charlotte. Her uncle Charlie is uh, Joseph Cotton. <laughs> and uh, she starts putting together pieces that uh, Uncle Charlie may be a serial killer and oh. before, before the word serial killer was used. Um but it's a uh, very intriguing, very much a departure for what she's doing here. But done in, within the same time frame. I think it's within three years or so of this. I think it was forty four or forty three that uh, uh, Shadow of a Doubt came out. And Myrna um, Loy, of course, is uh, in Myrna Mer- Airport seventy five, isn't she? Along yes, with a few other yeah. people in this film. I was like, aha! That's what brought you to Airport seventy five, right? You're like, <laughs> oh, my f- my favorite actors are in this. Yeah, Myrna Loy. Uh, she's. Uh, just amazing, and you know it's it's funny the commonality with her. Myrna Loy, uh, Myrna Loy, of course, was in uh, a lot of William Powell movies mm. with uh, the Thin Man, all the Thin Man films. William Is that Powell, Powell Pressburger, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Powell Pressburger, or is that what? Did they work together separately outside of that? Am I talking they, of the same person? Uh, no, w- William Peeping Powell. Tom and uh, stuff. Was uh, Thin Man, Shadow of the Thin Man, After the Thin Man, uh, all of those. Uh, He was also in uh, Kane Mutiny. Um, Okay. Let's see. But he was was always, it was Nick and Nora Charles. They teamed them up frequently for the Thin Man movies. Uh, But his other big role, William Powell, was uh, he played father in Life with Father, which, of course, as you brought up, was uh, Teresa Wright's uh, Broadway uh, premiere. That is true. it, It all goes full circle. Well, she was brought. I've got my notes here. She was brought originally. William Wilder brought her from was it to Hollywood, nineteen forty-one. She played uh, Bette Davis's daughter in The Little Foxes. That was her first oh. film role. Wow! Four years before. So there we go. Well, Exciting. Been very stuff. old then. Um, amazing. Uh, uh, we do want to talk about uh, that 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 Gilligan cut where we jump to the this Cafe Deauville. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of meaning behind that phrase, of course. In um, I don't know if American audiences know it, but uh, Deauville is uh, on the Normandy coast, and uh, it's kind of known as the Beverly Hills. Uh, it is, it's known as an upscale area. At, uh, but of course, uh, at, at this time, it was known as one of – Deauville was one of the, uh, the goal uh, towns to get to after the Normandy invasion. So mm. the idea of here he is invading Normandy again, except now it's a, <laughs> uh, it's a hot, you know, a hot night jazz spot. Um, what's she drinking, by the way? What is it? She's got the seltzer bottle that to, to put the soda in. What what's she got here? I'm, I'm assuming that she's like polishing cold. off the end of it. it was uh, in the previous in the previous minute? Oh no! In this minute, she's talking about this is the last of the. She only opened this bottle two hours ago, by the way, listeners. 
Ah. There's already, already an inch left in the bottom. <laughs> this, this, this is how much stress Frederick March is causing this poor woman. <laughs> She's probably got like a whole a whole case of it underneath the bed, pulling it. Glug, glug, glug. It's uh, it's but uh, I don't know what that. I mean, that's a lot of scotch. I think I'm I'm assuming it's scotch. She seemed did, like a. Did women work back then? Were they like just traditional housewives? I think for the most part, yes. Yeah, yeah, housewives. Except uh, as. Uh, Teresa Wright in this, since she was unmarried, she was volunteering at the hospital as a candy striper or something, you know, doing a... You're allowed to work if you're married, though, right? You could work at the general store or do a job or this. I'm sure there were, like, ladies working in offices and doing things, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure. and with World War II, there was a war on, so you had all the Rosie the Riveter types. I don't think Myrna was a, yeah. uh, a Rosie the Riveter type. Oh, no, perish the thought. You couldn't see her on a, on a factory floor. No, no, she, but she might be enrolling bandages <laughs> Unless it was a bottle factory. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that seltzer bottle, though. Amazing, amazing bit of uh, engineering there, uh, which <laughs> days before uh, carbonation, you, this is this is how you carbonated things. You blew it up to uh, to high pressure up to, uh, am I reading this right? It's, you, you blew it up to 300, 300 PSI. Wow. Okay. For, uh, for seltzer. Has it got the metal net or the chain mail across the bottom of the bottle? I need to skip back and look at it. Um, I remember the old seltzer bottles when I was a kid, like my grandparents' uh bureau and they always had like these kind of like almost like metallic net across the bottom of the bottle yeah like just to keep way. the shrapnel down i guess yeah. it's uh <clears throat> yeah and, and also you know dr- dropping it a little too hard on the table could cause you know exactly. grenade the whole thing <laughs> um but uh yeah it's it, it's an amazing it, it it's amazing just looking around they have the ice box it's mm. not a uh, <laughs> that, that that refrigerator is not it's not a refrigerator it's probably got ice in it um he's like howard stark this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got a Howard Stark look to him. By the way, Jim, this is your one of your favorite films, if not the favorite. Why? When did you first discover this film? I presume you didn't see it at the cinema because you're only twenty seven. No, that's true. <laughs> my grand, my grandfather told me about. It. I, I saw this movie. This used to be on um, pretty standard rotation on uh, uh, afternoon movies. For the four thirty movie was a big thing where I lived okay. in the, the New York area, and uh, it would be on about every six months or so. And I I, I came in on it late. And just there, I must have been about like nine or ten or so. And I doesn't I seem like the kind of film a nine year old be interested in. So it was well, four thirty movies were kind of a tradition. In, okay. When, when I was growing up, that you like they would and they would have weeks. They would have Planet of the Apes week, where all you'd see is you know they'd, they'd run the five big Planet of the Apes movies, or they'd okay. have uh, Holy Week on the four thirty movie. They'd show Ben Hur and the greatest story ever told, or they'd show and, and they cut like if if the movie was three hours long, then you'd have to watch it over two days. So and, oh, they, wow. and they just okay. and and the I don't know who the editor was, but it's like well, yeah, when it's six o'clock, we gotta just cut it, <laughs> we're cut it off here, and we'll start it up again tomorrow. So uh, it was just kind of uh, very very odd. But I did watch, wound up watching a lot of films like that. They'd have Monster Week, and they'd have like all the old <clears throat> Universal movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman. Oh nice. Um, so and that was usually like centered around uh, like Halloween week. You'd see all the monster movies, or uh, they'd have. Uh, Easter, they'd have all the Jesus movies. They had, you mm. know, so you could just compare Jesus's. You could say, yeah, Jeffrey Hunter versus, uh, uh, um, what Max von Sydow, or you know, those kind of things. So, uh, I wound up with quite an education on old films simply because of what my local TV station was dumping <laughs> out to fill in the empty hour and a half between. Well, it's a good education. Ah, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. 
was going to say, it's funny they they cut it off for just for the news and stuff because I think was it some films they'd put film extra scenes for to extend them, didn't they? Because I know yeah. there's, there's a television version of Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, and there's a three-hour version of Superman, the 1978 Richard Donner film. I think right. it's for the ABC, uh, well, showing basically they shot extra scenes, and it's like I've got it on Blu-ray somewhere, but it's in one of my packs, but I've never actually watched it. But it's been like bumped up to like three hours. To yeah, fill a yeah. time slot, obviously. Yeah, just just to get just to get the the whole evening's worth. And uh, I can think of uh, Star Trek Two, the Star Trek Two, uh, the Wrath of Khan. That yeah. has a couple of extra scenes that were just dropped in simply so they could fill up the entire evening's worth of entertainment. There, okay. um, a lot of a lot of the later airport movies, like uh, Airport Seventy Seven, Airport Seventy Nine, also had those like drop in easily removable scenes. That, uh, that they could flesh were, out. That were they shot feature. at the same time as filming the film? Was that director approved or? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. They they just would go through and say, okay, we're going to do this for TV. Um, okay, you go have a fight with this guy, and then we'll drop that in later. <laughs> so it's uh, you know it's hey, it, if it helps sell, that's what, <laughs> that's what they're looking at. Um, wow. Well, uh, this has been quite a minute. I think uh, it has. So, I was I was worried, listeners. I was like, oh my god, it's this film. I've got to watch it this week. It's meant to be one of the greatest films ever. I can hardly find any information online about it. They say there's some good things. The cast is quite condensed, but it's there's no like fat on it, and there's no like you know everyone's in the film for a specific reason. <laughs> and as their stories intersect, they're all there for a reason. I was like, what else am I going to say? But I think we, we've, <laughs> well, we've no, done we, quite we, well, Jim. We've got lots. Of, we've got we've got yeah. lots to talk about. I mean, you know, we're, by, by the way, you know, since we're at the, we're at the beginning of and this is this is your week. I'm sorry, I'm jumping in. But um, what what are your thoughts? Your initial reaction when you first saw the film? Uh, I think because it's so old and I didn't grow up with it, it didn't have that kind of impression on me. But I can understand and appreciate uh, the effect it had, and the acting, as you said, is very good. Especially the guy that plays Homer, forgotten his bloody name. Uh, who's uh, got... uh, how, uh, Harold Russell. Harold Russell, yes. Uh, very good, but unfortunately, he didn't really do anything much after that. And I think Willi- <laughs> this is actually a piece of trivia from a later episode. But I was going to say, William Wyler basically said, uh, "It's not going to work out for you, unfortunately, <laughs> Harold. Yeah. You should just quit because no one's going to want to put a guy with hooks for hands in on TV or film." So he went and got a business degree. But uh, uh, for what it is, yes, it was very good. It was just like the dauntingness of. Uh, it's a three-hour black and white film. I've got to try and put, there was no commentary. I tried to look online for perhaps people had left commentaries. Sometimes on like YouTube, people would do a commentary that you can watch the film with as they're talking about it. Yeah. So I was quite uh, quite daunted, but I do recognise a few people from it, especially obviously uh, Frederick March and my favourite version of uh, Doctor Jekyll. I'd literally until you said Jim, uh, never heard of this film. I, I feel awful oh. for saying that, but uh, no, it's very good. I, yeah, I, I thought it was good. I, I thought I'd get bored. I think the middle, there was a bit slight lag in a couple of things, but for the most part, it went at a cracking pace. It didn't feel like uh, two hours, 45, 50 minutes at all. Yeah, I, to me, the thing that slows down in this is the uh, relationship between Fred and Peggy, yeah. the whole love triangle thing. It, yeah. it never really clicked with me. I thought it was being unreasonable. And really, yeah, you could say that uh, Peggy's the bad guy in this thing. This um, is the woman that wanted this like uh, socialite spending all his money life when he comes out of the military. He's just going to go and get a regular job. That's the woman, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's yeah. Uh, Virginia, uh, Virginia Mayo. Yeah, that's she's, it. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, The but, awful, but, awful wife. Yeah, and it, it she she seemed to be the most well the uh, the shallowest character on board. It's mm. like here's here's what's driving her. She wants a guy that makes a lot of money, and she wants 
you know, and, and Fred isn't the guy. Fred, Fred, when he when she met him, he was an officer and a gentleman. And like that movie, it was like uh, she thought she was going to be on Easy Street when she. Way to go, Paula! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He didn't swallow a diamond ring. I'm, you know, I'm not going to say what Richard Gere calls her when just before that scene. But there we go. Begins with the scene. Americans don't <laughs> yeah. like it. <laughs> oh dear but yeah it's uh and it's so you get kind of a, this is kind of an anthology movie if there's a yeah. bunch of different stories going on and well you know it's okay it's, i just think i could have i could have lost the uh the peggy uh fred story because it just yeah. didn't interest me but somewhere somebody somebody was interested in it i'm sure so, i think well i was gonna say this could be remade even a modern version i think uh dealing with these like issues social issues now uh, and be like a Netflix miniseries. So, I mean, the idea or the theme certainly has transcended time in that sense. So I certainly got that from it as well. Yeah, def- <clears throat> definitely speaking to the human condition, no matter what the age is. I mean, this is you know, 75 years on now as, as we're speaking. This is the 75th anniversary when it's, you can still understand these people. You still, they, they, they make decisions and they, they have feelings the same way you and I do about stuff and just trying to, trying to piece it together. It, you know, we can relate to it. I, I feel really that, I think that's probably the biggest draw for me is that yeah. all these people seem like real people that could have these real problems. And there we have it. And by the way, Jim is very kindly saying, this is my show. It's not listeners. Uh, Jim has stepped in to help me because I was a, a, not only an albatross around his neck, nonsense uh, uh he, nonsense. he was also i thought what better guy to do because we've done lots of podcasts at this point for different shows jim and i do rarely get to speak to you outside of that so i uh <laughs> i'm glad it's happened this way to be honest i i love podcasting with you sir so no, thank it, you you are you are an easy uh co-host and uh it's it's nice oh being able cheeky to... buy me a drink first <laughs> <laughs> Ah, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. And I, I've always liked you have, you have unique interpretations of things and you notice a lot more things than I ever do in a lot of different movies. So it's always, yes. it's always I, a pleasure I, I, chatting as, with as, as, as we said on the phone the other day, I bought my way through. It's good bullshit, <laughs> but it's bullshit nonetheless. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I think this has been a good, a good start to our, uh, our 10 days of, uh, of, of, this will be, yes. 10 but, days! 10 days. Well, we're down to nine <laughs> now because we're almost done with this one. So it's, uh, it's good. So uh, for me, Jim, like, is everyone is everyone doing ten days apiece? Because I thought usually it's like five days, isn't it? Usually a week and then another week, well, or is it because there was lesser shows? There's more with time a, to cover. With 170 minutes, we've got a lot to a lot of uh, real estate ah, to cover. Of course. So, uh, so we do have 17 groups working on this. Uh, some people have split, like they've they've traded off and they've get, they've gotten rid of their second week with somebody else, which has been okay. But uh, just you know, just trying to get so many people to do all this stuff. It's been uh, not arduous, but just a diff- just a difficult scheduling thing. But, of course, uh, but, but every you know, I think everybody's been given their all, and it's as as people are listening to this, what we're we're half an hour into the movie, so they've heard fifteen different uh, groups so far, uh, banging away, or not? Uh, I'm sorry, five different groups uh, banging away at this. So and, and uh, most of these episodes are those guys partying, getting drunk, and going to every speakeasy in town. Why Jim thought of me for this, I'll never know, but we won't ask. <laughs> you're my expert no 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 worries and uh but uh yeah but we'll, we'll be we'll be going on with more as as we get into uh the montage coming up for uh, uh for, for part of this next week and we wow. shall so that concludes episode one listeners i do hope uh you've enjoyed it i've been ethan mckinley of the two minute terminator i don't think you can find that anywhere really apart from on youtube so if you do want to uh go there i've put clips in uh the clip we talk about is on there there's lots of content sometimes we went slightly off the range but what can you do uh but 
I've got a, a taskmaster of Jim here uh, looming over me, so I'll just say this. Uh, the Best Minutes podcast will be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or the main site, bestminutes.com. Uh, also, if you want to find uh, and talk about this film and socialize with the other Minute podcasters, you can go to Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listener Cafe, uh, on Facebook. It's also on Twitter and also at bestminutes.com. And on Friday, uh, I was going to say, oh, God, I've, that's, I've said too much. That's that's part of the blurb. Don't say that, Ethan. I was going to say, there are over, there are over 170 uh, minute. Are there really 170 minute podcasts? 180 now. I was oh, my God. Since I wrote that copy, yeah. Right, listeners, there are, you know who you are. You're all out there. You're all listening. There's over 180 uh, minute podcasts, and they're available at moviesbyminutes.com. And uh, I don't think mine is because mine's on YouTube, but, you know, we're special. So <laughs> you should check those out, <laughs> listeners. And also, my darlings, join us here next time, tomorrow, which is Tuesday at the Best Minutes Podcast. Jim O'Kane, thank you for being my co-pilot, my Chewbacca, my hand Solo. You can pick, I don't care. And uh, we'll see you listeners tomorrow. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Hey, Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.